those those ages three to five can be dismissed. Are there clipboards? Yes. Clipboards for those six to nine. So here's Tom Scriven, who I think you know. <laughs> well, so, some of them. And uh, some of them, I And think. you may see more once in a while as we need somebody to fill in. We're grateful for him to come. Thank you, Tom. And I'm glad to be here. I feel I should apologize because I was supposed to be speaking in July and sort of waited till the last minute because I thought things were going to improve for me physically. But... Uh, then realized Saturday uh, early afternoon that I was not improving and ended up going to the emergency room and spending three days in the hospital. So uh, I'm doing better today, thank you, and I'm glad to be here. But I know it's always challenging when all of a sudden one of the deacons gets a call that uh, they don't have a speaker for the next morning. But I... Uh, think you are in good hands and you have many capable men in your church to fill in. This was a message I wanted to bring shortly after the 4th of July, considering uh, things that are going on in our country and us celebrating another uh, milestone, another 4th of July as a nation, and trying to make sense of... Uh, What's happened over the last now two and a half years, who would have imagined this season of worldwide disease and its consequences would have lasted all this time? With all of our wisdom, all of our intellect, all of our medical advancements and technology. So maybe we as believers should stop and ask ourselves, ones who are hopefully in tune with our creator is is it is it possible that god is trying to to say something to us as a people not just americans but worldwide the situation that's taking place in ukraine the tension with china and north korea other uh, concerns crises that are happening around the world Perhaps it's time to ask a couple of questions based on the confusion and inability of people to solve problems that are in our country and in our land. So the first question might be, whoops, I'm going the wrong way. There we go. Uh, one more time. Um, first question could be, is God trying to get our attention and has, does he have something to say to us as his creation? And if that were the case, that he's trying to get our attention, what would he possibly want to say to us if and when we did give him our attention? Because God has spoken in the past, and I believe that he desires to speak to us on a regular basis. And we need to exalt him as God, as holy, in a, cultural, in a culture that at best considers him very casually. 
There's many today that could care less about God, others that use him when they need him. But as believers, we realize we need him every day, don't we? In fact, we need him every hour. (laughs) We need him every moment. And in, in this very familiar, very, very familiar passage of Scripture that, that was read for us this morning, that we concluded with, it brings us to another question. Is there a pattern for national forgiveness of sins in the Bible? Could it be that God is trying to get our attention and wants us to listen to him and does have something to say to us? I know we read some from chapter 5, some from chapter 6, and some from chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. But it was trying to to give us a little overview of what's taking place here. And we read in chapter 5 and verse 6, Thus, all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels and the treasures of the house of God. So the background for 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 that we know so well is a time of celebration. It's not a time of pandemic. It's not a time of crisis. It's a time actually of rejoicing. It's a time of great joy and celebration after seven years of construction and thousands of workers laboring to create this beautiful, these beautiful features in the house of God, the temple of God, was finally completed, and now it's being dedicated to God. For some 400 years, the children of Israel worshiped God in a portable tent type of tabernacle. They would pack it up when they moved on. They would settle in one place, and they would open it up, and those of you that have done much camping know what that's like. It can get tedious after time. And so David, King David, had a desire to build a temple for God, but God did not allow him to do that. Instead, he said, no, your son, Solomon, would build that temple. And he did. And now it's completed. And that's the background for this uh, passage that we have before us. Seven years later, the temple was in building. And it was a magnificent temple. Just a few interesting facts about the temple. It was was built by thousands of workers, some 30,000 Israel, or yeah, 30,000 Israelites, some 150,000 outsiders. Uh, the Canaanites, the Phoenicians, craftsmen from Tyre. It was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and six, uh, 45 feet high. 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high, four and a half stories high. It was a magnificent structure. Uh, it was... Uh, it cost, in terms today, some... It would have cost some... Uh, five or six billion dollars to, to uh, create this. All the gold, all the silver, all the overlay, all the time that went into it. Uh, most of it was the stones were crafted off-site and then brought in and placed. Well, that takes a lot of detail work. <laughs> 
There would have been architects. There would have been uh, masons. There would have been carpenters, craftsmen, people, stone workers, and goldsmiths and silversmiths. It was a magnificent temple. And the, the people of Israel realized that it could never contain God. And that's what we read about this morning. Know that, God, we realize this cannot be a building that can house you because you're much bigger than that. But rather, it served as a holy place, a building that reminded the Israelites of God's presence with them. And after it was completed, he finished the temple and God's presence came and filled the temple. And Solomon offered thousands of sacrifice, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. And the people dedicated the house of the Lord and consecrated it. And they had a feast time and seven days of festival and celebration. It was a time of great joy and celebration. And the parties involved here were King Solomon and the Lord God. And Solomon has this relationship with God where we don't know exactly how God is communicating with him, but he speaks to him. He doesn't necessarily show up in his glory. Well, he does in his Shekinah glory. He fills he fills the temple and no one is able to go into it after that. But God speaks to Solomon in a very personal way. And I'm sorry, I'm still getting used to this. Okay, let's go the other way. So Solomon offers a prayer and he requests for God to, uh, to meet with, not just meet with his people, but to be a, a God to his people and ask God for specific things because Solomon is wise enough to realize the nature of the human heart and the need for a future plan to deal with man's bent towards disobedience. And Solomon, unfortunately, would disobey the Lord himself. And so we notice in this passage, in chapter 6, we're going to look at several verses. Note the if and when phrases. If this happens or when this happens. In 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22, if a man sins against his neighbor, Solomon is directly speaking, praying, talking to God. So if a man sins against his neighbor... Verse 24, if your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, chapter 6, verse 26, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain, why? Because they have sinned against you, chapter 6, verse 28, if there is a famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew, or locusts, or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is. And then chapter 6 and verse 36, notice this verse. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Now that's a wise person. 
and Solomon realized that. But he's, he's speaking, I think he's including himself, which he must, because he says, no one does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried away captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity, to which they were carried away captive, and pray toward their land, which you give to their fathers in the city that you have chosen in the house that I have built, then hear from heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. That's Solomon's if and when phrases. But God is going to respond now with some if and when phrases. And notice this. God responds as he answers Solomon's prayer in chapter 7 and verse 13, which was read. Solomon finished the house, all that he'd planned to do. The Lord appeared to him in the night. He'd sent the people back home from their time of celebration, and now it's evening time. And God shows up. God appeared to Solomon. We don't know how. We don't know if there was a bright light, a glow, a presence. Some of his glory just came in that room there in the quiet of the evening. And God said, I have heard your prayer. I've heard your prayer, Solomon and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. In verse 14, God is going to give his gracious response to Solomon and I believe a pattern for national repentance. And so notice this. We're going to break down this verse, a very well-known passage. You could probably quote it. First of all, let's look at the call to the people. If my people, my people. First of all, it's conditional. If is dependent upon an action. If it doesn't rain this afternoon, we're going to have a picnic. Or if my children come and visit next weekend, then I'll bring them to church with me. If is dependent upon an action. But it's also very selective. My people. So this was God's instruction to his people. And who, who originally initiated this relationship? Go way back to Abraham. God did, didn't he? God chose Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees and to follow him to an unknown destination. God was the one that called this people, this nation, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. God was the one that called these people. 
This was God's instruction for God's people. It was selective. And we are the people of God. We've been called by his name. We've been called Christians because Christ is in us and we are his people. So there's the call to the people, but there's also the condition of powerlessness. If my people who are called by my name do something, if, when, remember, if my people called by my name will humble themselves. Now that's easy to say, isn't it? But how, is it, how easy is it to humble ourselves? Humble ourselves before someone that we have offended. Humble ourselves before our children when we've blown it as parents. Humble ourselves as husbands before our wives when we've been unkind to our wives and we haven't been the leader that they need in the home. Humble ourselves before the God of heaven and say, God, I've disobeyed you. I've sinned. David struggled for over a year with that, didn't he? Until Nathan the prophet came to him and, and told him a little story about a shepherd and a lamb and a man who stole someone else's one loved sheep and would not share his own abundance. And Nathan the prophet looked at David and said, David, King David, with all due respect, you're the man. And like a butter cutting through, or a knife cutting through soft butter, the Spirit of God broke through David's heart and he repented and humbled himself before God. But that doesn't come easy, does it? Not as, not as self-sufficient men, not as self-sufficient Americans. But there's an admission of being helpless. I can't solve this predicament. And I don't know if you've picked up any of this, but over the last couple of years, I've found very rarely anybody owning up to the fact that we don't have an answer to this pandemic. We can't solve it. In fact, a lot of people have come on the scene and they have given their opinions and they've tried to assert their authority when you know, it almost seems like the medical community has had to take second place to other political type people who have said, no, we need to do this. We need to shut down this. We need to go here. We can't do this. You can't do that. Can't do another thing. And some of it has been proven illogical, if not erroneous. Everybody has an answer. But how many, how many political leaders have you heard say, maybe we need to call, call upon God and ask him for help? I know there's been some believers that have done that. But the, this admission of being, I can't solve this predicament. I can't solve this problem. I can't help this need. I can pray. I can seek God. I can seek his face. I can humble myself. But I can't solve this. I don't have the answers. So this is an admission of being helpless. This is also very personal. It's not him or her or them. But I'm, I'm part of the problem, too. I'm part of the situ- I'm part of the American system. And I need to admit that, that, that I am 
I am part of this family that needs to humble myself. And yet, God promises something special to ones who will humble themselves. And I just want to go back for one second to that other slide. Humbling ourselves. James 4.9 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. But I need to own the wrong. I'm part of the human race. I'm part of the American system. It's not another person or a political party that has offended God, but my sin offends God. Our sin offends God. My lack of love for the Lord, my gossip, my dislike, my complaining, my anger, my apathy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really struck by the Old Testament accounts of some of the most godly people in the Old Testament taking the role of intercessor and confessing rebellion, apathy, wickedness, idolatry, and pride on behalf of others while they themselves were personally very innocent and lived exemplary lives. Listen to what Moses says in, Genesis, in Exodus chapter 32. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. This was after the golden calf experience while Moses was up perceiving the Ten Commandments and children of Israel were down worshiping an idol. And the next day Moses gathered the people together and he said, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, listen to this, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses. Moses was up in the presence of God when he came down. The glory of God shone so br brilliantly on his face that he had to veil his face. Moses had done nothing wrong, but he said, Oh God, if you will not forgive this sin that these people have committed, then take my life. Yeah. And then there was Daniel. One of our favorite Old Testament characters, one of the most godly men in the entire Old Testament. Listen to what he prayed in Daniel chapter 9 as he realized the children of Israel had sinned and had gone into captivity and they were in Babylon and they were in bondage. But, but Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord and seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servant, servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord God, belongs righteousness, but to us 
open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because because we have sinned against you. We have sinned against you. And Daniel was willing to, to own that. If my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and pray and pray to God. The follow-up to humbling is praying. Maybe if, maybe if I don't have the answers... Maybe if our politicians don't have the answers and our medical people. Maybe the creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, maybe he knows how to solve this problem. He's done it in the past. And he can do it again and pray. Is he wiser? Yes, he is. Is he stronger? Yes, he is. Has he healed in the past? Yes, he has. The follow-up is humbling ourselves and praying. Notice the fellowship. Communication is something God always desires from his people. What What was it in the very Garden of Eden when God walked in the cool of the day that was enjoyable? It was fellowshipping with Adam and Eve. And God calls out, Adam, where are you? Did God not know where Adam was? Of course he did. But he wanted Adam to admit it. Oh, uh, we're, we're here. We're hiding. Oh, well, why are you hiding? Have you eaten of the forbidden fruit? Well, obviously they had, but he wasn't going to admit it. But God desires communication with his people. That's why he tells us to pray and to seek his face. It's for our part, but it's for his fellowship with us. An unbeliever is not one who's going to ask God for help. How many non-Christians, how many politicians would cry out to God and say, Oh God, help us during this pandemic. No, we'll, we'll figure out something on our own. You know, We'll try this and try that and this distance and mask and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we we can probably solve this. You know, we're Americans, we're intellectuals, we're PhDs, we're we're very smart. You know, we've done a lot. Our technology is amazing. We'll solve this problem. Maybe we won't. (laughs) Ask God for help. And prayer here means to supplicate. It means to intervene. Years ago, the, the old timers used to talk about a holy unction. I spoke at a church years ago that had all-night prayer meetings every quarter, all night. They would meet around 10 or 11 o'clock, and they would end at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I wasn't a part of that. I was just speaking on a Sunday at that church. But every quarter, they would have all-night prayer meetings. Yes, I'm sure some people dozed off. But there's nothing better than dozing off in the midst of prayer and waking up again in the spirit of prayer. What a great place to rest than in the presence of God. 
Who will pray? Who will pray if Christians don't? <clears throat> you still have prayer meeting here Wednesday, Wednesday nights? Yes. Do you know you're in a smaller and smaller minority, even among Baptist churches? We've conceded. We may have other activities. We may have youth programs Wednesday night. But when I became a Christian in 1972, 50 years ago, um, I immediately got connected with our prayer meeting at First Baptist Church in Westfield and prayed. The deacons came, trustees came, women came, children came. In fact, in, when our children were in high school at Westfield, the uh, music director, the athletic director at the public school knew you did not plan anything Wednesday night because, because the church kids were not going to be there. They were going to be in church on Wednesday night at prayer meeting. And the adults had their own prayer time. The young people had their prayer time. We didn't, we didn't have to give that up. COVID didn't shut that down. But many churches have conceded that, unfortunately. God wants us just to pray, to talk to him. And then there's a the commitment to passion and seek my face. Not just pray, now, now I lay me down to sleep, blah, 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 blah. But to seek my face, to seek my... Seeking involves time and effort. Not just a casual or nonchalant spirit, but involves time. It involves intimacy, not just a superficial acquaintance with God. Moses asked God to show him his glory, and the Lord responded, Moses, you cannot see my face and live. However, Revelation 22.3 in the New Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, John describes the heavenly city and our relationship with God there. And he says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Listen, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. We're going to have an, a, an eternal tattoo from God that's going to be marvelous. The name of God, forever owned by the creator of the universe. And we're going to see his face. And then there's the choosing of penance and turn from their wicked ways. As Solomon wrote, who can claim to be without sin? If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, verse 36 of verse 6. God never expects perfection from us. But he does require honesty when we fail him. One commentator writes, It wasn't enough to merely turn their heart to God, but they must turn their life to God. And so let us, let, let's ask ourselves a very honest question this morning. I ask myself, who owns your life? Who owns your life? Yeah. He doesn't want just our heart, but he wants our life. That means daily, 
the Apostle Paul talked about dying daily. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, and I die daily. I put the old man to bed, to death, every day. And God just requires honesty. John wrote, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our, sin, our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who can claim to be all God wants us to be? Because there are sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins that... Uh, we know that we should do and then sins that we know things that we know that we should be doing. But God wants an honest heart. An honest heart. And that brings us to the, la the final point. Then, God says, if, if these things transpire, as God said, if my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and if they will seek my face, if they will turn from their wicked ways, then, this is good, this is the best part of it, then, then God, God says to Abraham, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Does God have a hearing problem? No, not ever. Does God have a knowing problem? No, never. And yet Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah 59 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. But humility... Prayer and repentance opens the phone lines back up again. Or it unblocks your ears. You ever had earwax? I've gone to the doctor on a couple occasions. And I've said, you know, I feel kind of more, more dizzy than other times. You know, more out of it. And so he checks my, oh, well, you have earwax. And then they clean the earwax out and it's like, oh, that's marvelous. Now I feel much better. I can hear, I, my balance is better. Well, that's the situation that Isaiah speaks about. That God has hidden his face from you so that he does, but humility and prayer and repentance opens up the phone lines to God again. No, God never has a hearing problem, but we often have an admitting problem, don't we? A confession. Note, note the I will statements here by God. I will hear. That's good. That's a great start. I will hear. And while it is conditional, it is certain. God says if these other things take place, I will hear. Secondly, while sin has caused the problem, forgiveness will create the remedy. I will forgive. I will forgive. While forgetting God resulted in defeat and famine and plague and problems for man, confession 
Confession produces healing and restoration. I will heal. You know, God has a remedy for man's problem. It's Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And God will heal us, especially spiritually. Our bodies are continuing to decay, but he's promised to forgive our sins. God has provided a remedy and Jesus provided it. Solomon later wrote, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Could we say this verse together? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear for heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Father, Father, what a tremendous promise you've given your people. No, we're not the children of God. We're not Israelites. We're not Jewish by birth. But to some degree, we have even greater joy. We're called children of God. We're sons and daughters of the living God. You've called us by name. We have been called the bride of Christ, the church of the living God. And we are your people. So as your people, let us confess. Let us seek your face that we may hear that you may hear from heaven forgive our sins and heal our land in Jesus name Amen. do you want a piano player no it's okay okay We'll finish a cappella. We have a good group of singers. I like to listen to them. So, I'm going to turn our hymn books to 288. I would be like Jesus. We're going to sing this first and second verse and chorus, third and fourth verse and chorus. So, it'll seem a little odd, but it works good. So, let's do that together. Earthly pleasures vainly call me. I would be like Jesus. Nothing worldly shall enthrall me. I would be like Jesus. He has broken every fetter. I would be like Jesus. That my soul may serve him better. I would be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus. All the way from earth to glory, I would be like Jesus. Telling o'er and o'er the story, I would be like Jesus. 
that in heaven he may meet me would be like Jesus that his words well done may greet me I would be like Jesus be like Jesus this my song in the home and in the throng be like Jesus all day long I would be like Jesus. Gracious Father, we're so thankful that you love us. Thankful that you have drawn us into your family. That we're able to come to the place in our life when we confess that we're sinners and needed a Savior. But Lord, we're very aware that on a regular basis, we sin. And Lord, we as a people, your people, in this church need to take care of our sin with you. We need to confess and come to you wanting to turn around and go the other way. And Lord, we know you'll hear us. Even as David, when he was turning around, said he, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me. He, in the very next verse, said, but the Lord did hear me. And he responded because he was there to get right with God. He thought you would not allow that, that you were too holy to take him back. But Lord, you loved him and forgave him. Help us, Lord, to be so quick to respond to you that we would not wait years to do that, but that we would get right at it. And Lord, in our nation and in this world, wake them up to your presence, for only you can resolve the problems of this world. We praise you for your love for us. Thank you for this message. Work in our hearts and lives in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.